Like the man said, take me away. I don't mind. But you better promise me, I'll be back in time. And you're just in time for another great episode of I'm Not Famous. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. It's just me this week, so we're just going to have a quick check-in on your mental health during this pandemic or during any time, five days a week, going to work. And uh, we're going to talk about some ways to unwind. And one of those ways is sort of looking back at nostalgic movies. That's what I've done. And we're going to do a bit of a rewind review of a couple of my favorites from the 90s, Apollo 13 and Twister. And they do have a couple things in common, which is kind of fun. So just to kick off, just checking in with everyone's mental health. First of all, I'm completely unqualified to give any advice in any way, shape, or form, and I'm not a doctor. But hey, that's never stopped me before, but I just like having a bit of a chat. You know, when someone goes on about mental health these days, I'm not saying it's not serious. It is. If you have a real problem, you certainly need to see a professional, see a doctor, see a psychologist, see a psychiatrist, talk to your mom and dad, brother or sister. But in general, I think a lot of times mental health and the issues we face, it's mostly just coming from all of the complexities of life. I can't imagine how complex life was years ago. In the 80s, it was complex enough. And in this new crazy millennium, they're even more complicated. So a lot of that is really just coming from external complications in life. And they just can become overwhelming. It doesn't mean there's anything specifically wrong with you. You're not going nuts. You're just overwhelmed. There's too much shit coming at you from two different directions, too many different directions. And, uh, yeah, a lot of time, I think that's just what it is. And uh, we're all the same. We're trying to get by. You you go to work. You try to squeeze a little bit of fun time on the weekend. Uh, But otherwise, the problems at work, the problems at home, the problems of your future, the problems of financial freedom. Uh, And then to top it all off, you get on social media and you become even more overwhelmed because you have to try and solve the world problems. Let me say you don't have to try and solve the world's problems. If you can, if you have the potential to do that, and you have the time to do that, then good. If that enriches your life, of course. Of course we're here to help each other, and that's very rewarding, by all means. But also remember, it's okay to look after yourself and your loved ones and your family. Uh... You don't have to save the world if you don't have the capacity to, to do that. So a lot of that external noise is just coming at you and adding to your own complexities and problems you have in your own life. And that's, you know, a lot of that is what mental health is. Just too much information overload. And it can send quite a few people off the cliff. I'm sorry, that's a terrible analogy, but it's true. It's just overwhelming. And if you can just take a moment to yourself, if you're alone, you should connect with people. If you're already connected with enough people and you've got a huge family and they're driving you nuts, then you need to find some time to be alone. Um, It's all about that balance. Something to do, someone to love, something to look forward to. I mean, just keep it simple. And uh, yeah, if, if you're alone, you definitely should connect with people. 
that's such a fascinating thing. I love doing that. I love connecting and having those conversations, finding out what someone else is going through, finding out that you're not alone. We're all in the same boat. doesn't matter what walk of life you're from, race, creed, or color, or country. We're all on the same path of just trying to figure all this madness out and find a little piece for ourselves, carve out a little happiness for ourselves and our loved ones. And uh, if you already have a lot of that, a lot of loved ones around and they're driving you nuts, it's okay to check out and find some alone time. You need that. Or you will go nuts in another way because you're becoming overwhelmed. And you can find that just works miracles to find that time. And um, for some people, it's having a hobby, getting out there on a dirt bike, going four by fouring. Maybe you're crocheting or knitting. Whatever it is, it's something that's fulfilling you on a personal level, level then that's fantastic. Um, for me, it's probably movies and music. You know, and that's hard right now during this crazy world pandemic. It's so strange that there's no new movies out. Um, Streaming services like Netflix, uh, it's not necessarily replacing it. Um, As much as the home cinema has grown over the years, the TVs have gotten bigger. Your TV is now the entire wall, and you've got surround sound and every interactive device, virtual reality, 3D going on. It's still not that same exciting feeling that you got Friday night or Saturday. Oh, there's a new movie out. Oh, let's go see it. And it was a, it was an outing. It was going out. Um, it was the smell of the popcorn and getting a drink and getting your candies and lollies and going out with uh, your friends or your family and, and enjoying it with the audience. And I'll be honest, that's something else that's missing from home streaming. Uh, unless you have a huge group of people there, which is fun. But going to the movies, it's another natural human experience to have that connection with everyone else in the theater who's having it at the same time as you. Um, um, You're all laughing. You're all being frightened at the same point or at different points. That's also interesting. I may think something's funny or the audience thinks something is funny and I don't. That is all part of it, and I, I miss that. It's one of those connections that we're missing out on these days with our mobile phones and and just being locked into to social media. We're connecting in that way, but we're still isolated. You know, I still call it the Steve Jobs legacy. A man who was not able to connect with other people gave us the ultimate functionality to connect with other people, but alone. Um, I, I'm just not quite sure that that was the best thing. Uh, for someone that himself was deficient in that department, um, normal human social interaction to, you know, lead the way for this technology, which again is great. There's so many positives about it, of course, but it also, you know, can end up isolating you in such a connected digital world. You're still um, very alone. So yeah, I certainly miss the movies. And look, my other one is, is music. As much as a movie can transport you away, and it can, it can bring you a feeling from the past. I re-watch movies at nauseum, like reading a book over again. Um, You know what's going to happen, but you still, in between maybe months or years since you've watched it, you, you expect certain parts, but maybe other parts you find different things each time. Or 
you just want those same feelings that you already know to wash over you again, and, and it feels good. And with music, I find that the same, but even more so, you can so escape through music. You know, you can close your eyes and be transported away to when you first heard that song or something you were doing, or just the song itself or the lyrics. Um, music is certainly a, a huge thing that I think if someone's not into, they should get into it and explore all kinds of music. I think if you're a true music lover, you'll find an aspect of all music to enjoy. Um, I love everything from rock, pop, country, whatever it is, 80s, 90s, um, you know, classical music. There's a place for that uh, in my body, mind, and soul for all of that. Depends on your mood and how you're feeling at the time. You might want some, you know, angsties, nine. 90s rock alternative just grungy getting angry and then maybe you want some you know techno pop moderny whatever it may seem insipid but maybe it's something you need at that point it's something you just need to to fill you and uh, then maybe you want something classical and you know what when I say classical it doesn't just mean Tchaikovsky and Mozart in in my life growing up that also means um, uh, musical scores from the movies, motion picture um, scores, uh, you know, uh, John Williams and, and all these greats, James Horner, you have um, classical music, but it has been married to movies in our minds for so long. And yeah, you could say Star Wars kicked that off a bit with marrying the, the classical sound to, to sci-fi and cinema and uh you know, Stanley Kubrick, 2001, obviously used actual classic music and then juxtaposed it to um, the uh, emptiness of space. Uh, but yeah, certainly since the late 70s and all through the 80s, and even now, a musical score, wow, that can really spark an emotion in me. And, um, you know, everyone has their favorites. Uh, you know, Danny Elfman for Batman, all different kinds of, of classical scores. Um, have have brought that emotion in cinema. So yeah, whatever it is, you know, take that away. Um, I will say I have a, a way of sort of battling the days of the week. You know, you need to know what you're dealing with Monday to Friday. If you work five days a week, you've got to put a, a, a face to it and it helps you to define it better. You've got to put it in context. Monday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday you got to name them, and you got to know who you're dealing with. Monday, look, take it head on. It's not going away. It's coming no matter what you do. No matter what you do Sunday, it's looming. So uh, there's no doubt about it. Monday sucks, but you've got to hit it head on and know that it's a war, and that's the first battle. You've got to win that first battle. You might not get a lot done on Monday, but you've got to get through it. And... I say once you've once you've hit 10 or 11 a.m., hell, you're you're almost there. Once you hit noon and lunch, shit, it's half over. You're going to win the battle. It's going to happen. And Monday, you've just got to get through it. Tuesday's got a bit of a softer edge. Um, you might get something done on Tuesday because Monday's mostly just catching up and you don't know what's going on. But Tuesday, you might actually start to get through it all and feel like, there's hope. And that's not bad. Tuesday is still a tough one. 
but there is hope. Like I say, it's Monday, but with softer edges. Now, Wednesday, Wednesday's great because Wednesday is the ultimate glimmer of hope. You are over the hill. It's hump day. You can see that you've made progress and it is possible to beat this week. It's coming. You're halfway there. Half is good. Half full, half empty. However you see it, Wednesday is good. Now, Thursday, hey, I call Thursday Friday Junior, and that in itself makes Thursday great. And by Thursday, you've probably had some time now to reflect on on some of your accomplishments and maybe think about some new tasks for you to, to do by the end of the week. So Thursday, it's literally almost Friday, so we call it Thursday Junior, and you're almost there. And then, hey, it's Friday. Friday's the best because you know what? You can start taking the things you've done and what you've accomplished for the week, come up with some of the extra tasks that you maybe you didn't finish, and a little side project. And Friday's great because no matter what you do, you're going to go home at the end of the day. They can't keep you there. You might stay there a bit longer. Maybe you didn't get out on time, but you're going to escape. It's going to end. Every time that clock ticks over, don't watch the clock, Jesus Christ. But if you are, it's ending. It's coming to an end. It's coming to a conclusion, and you're going to win. You've beat the week. Friday night is great. You've got the entire weekend ahead of you. You're not even thinking about Monday. It's like a, are you kidding? It's so far ahead, it's ridiculous. Uh, Saturday, you've got all day Saturday. Love Saturday. Nothing wrong with Saturday. Even if it's raining outside, I like Saturday. Sunday, Sunday and I aren't exactly friends. Because Sunday has a hidden secret that no matter what you do, the clock's ticking down to Monday. Now, if you have Monday off, shit. Fucking hey, you you're doing well. Now you got something special there. A three-day weekend is a special gem. But Sunday starts off all right. Maybe you have breakfast. Maybe maybe you're religious. You go to church, take the dog to the park, do something with the kids. But unfortunately, when the afternoon hits and the, uh, you know, the, the sun starts setting, yeah, Sunday has a, a dark side. But, uh, but, you know, that's how you get through the week. You've got to know your enemy. You've got to name them. Name them you've got to face them. And you've got to get through it. Um, so I want to do a bit of a, a rewind review of a couple of my favorite 90s movies that I watched recently. And both these movies, Apollo 13, 1995, and Twister came out in 96. You know, not a lot of movies hold up from the 90s. Uh, and I'm going to be honest. I dare you to watch these. I think they both do. Uh, don't make any assumptions. If you've seen it before or you saw it back then and thought, oh, yeah, whatever, give it give it another try. And I, I guarantee both these movies will make you feel good. And they still hold up to this day in every way, in acting, in story, in cinematography. And you know what? Special effects and special effects are tough because you've got to be ahead of the curve or you are antiquated the minute you come out. So Apollo 13, 1995. Now, uh, you know, just as far as effects goes, Jurassic Park, obviously a groundbreaker. Now that came out in 93, so we're in 95 now. So we're working with some good stuff. And um, director Ron Howard, can't go wrong with Ron Howard, came a long way from Happy Days. He's always there for the story, for the human story uh, and the development of the characters, for sure. But you know what? With Apollo 13 and the fact that it's based on a true story, I tell you, he really took that material and he tried to keep it 
as close to realistic as possible. And I, I'm serious when I say this. I believe that's one of the best movies to show realism in every way from the story and the characters and as well as the look of it and, and the effects. Um, you know, you think, oh, it's about space, so it must be an effects-driven movie. It's effects-driven in that it needed to be told. Uh, it needed to be done in a way so that you did believe it. And we're in the 90s, so we're just on the cusp of what we we can do with special effects and, and CGI. And the thing is, is the best movie makers, they know their limits. Um, whether that's everyone, you know, it's not just the director, it's everyone involved. They all know their limits to not take a special effect that's maybe not quite at its best and not take it too far. And that's what I think was great about this one as well. And I'll talk about that in a minute. But Tom Hanks playing uh, Jim Lovell, the commander of the crew, famous Jim Lovell. Uh, Kevin Bacon. Hey, Kevin Bacon. Can't go wrong. Uh, And Bill Paxton. So sad about Bill Paxton. Uh, He was awesome. I'm still devastated that he's gone because you just love him in, in everything. Um, from aliens to man, I remember when I first saw him in Weird Science. He is just a character and a crack up, Bill Paxton. And Bill Paxton's in Twister up next that we're going to talk about. So there's one connection. Uh, and Ed Harris. Um, look, Ed Harris is always one of those. He he. I don't think he's ever missed missed a spot on point in his acting. Uh, he plays Gene Krantz, who's the flight director at NASA. Um, and of course, Gary Sinise. This is the Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise buddy movie. He's uh, playing Ed Mattingly, who didn't get to go uh, on the launch to the moon. They kept him behind because uh, they thought he was going to get measles. Again, this was based on a true story, uh, Apollo 13. Uh, It was the 1970 mission to the moon. It was the 13th mission to the moon. And uh, look, if you don't know the story, look, if you haven't seen it by now, I can't help you, but the spoiler is, uh, they didn't make it to the moon. All the shit went wrong, and they had to bring them back. And that in itself ensues um, a great story. I mean, look, it is a true story, but that's a meaty story to to be able to develop. Um, going to the moon is complicated enough, but worse when something goes wrong, and now your aim shifts from something you think is um, sort of becoming normal. Again, like they said in the movie, there's nothing... nothing uh, uh, easy or straightforward about going to the moon. For God's sake, there's 10 million moving parts in people and mechanics and logistics and just the amazing, you know, I'm always, I'm very fascinated with that in general and also very excited that SpaceX on a side point has finally put Americans back into space and is going to get us back on track to actually start being explorers again, which I think is fantastic. I don't mind the privatization of, of that world. Um, look, that's how it's going to have to be. If the private companies want to flip the bill, you know, if uh, Tesla wants to flip the bill for that, um, nothing wrong, wrong with that. As long as we get there, NASA can supply the astronauts and all the companies can supply, you know, with their deep pockets. That's what they're there for. Um, Elon Musk has deep pockets. So good, good on you. I'm glad that they're, they're onto that. So yes, space is complicated. So imagine if, Going to the moon now gets turned into uh, they're in trouble. Something's wrong with the spacecraft. Now our aim and our focus is to bring these three astronauts back alive. 
So that's the basis of Apollo 13. Uh, and it's fantastic. And look, again, the effects for the rocket launches and stuff like that, they use, you know, some practical effects and then some some CGI visual effects. And the Saturn V rockets, look, I've seen the space shuttle go up uh, in the 90s. I've seen Atlantis go up, and it was from very far away, mind you. Um, amazing, fantastic, thundering booms. Well, these Saturn V rockets of the 60s and 70s made the space shuttle look like a tiny Volkswagen. They were enormous. So, uh, And it's amazing because that was farther back then than modern times. But yeah, you could not imagine the, the thundering that took place when they took off. Um, so, you know, you have to give this realism. And one of the things in movies that I think has always been a struggle in space and you know what? They do it, I swear to God, the same way they've been doing it for quite a while. The best way to pretend you're in space is to have the actor kind of kind of move on his butt and kind of hover, kind of slowly move his arms up and down. You'd be surprised how, if you get that down, how effective that is. But that only goes so far to convince the audience. And if you don't have some miracle CGI way, you know, blue screen strings and stuff like that, it's a nightmare. Well, how else do you create weightness, weightlessness on earth well the easiest way of all you take them up into a plane take them up into a, a 747 or a big c-130 and you free fall and magically everyone's floating and something as simple as that and that's what they did in apollo 13 to show uh, weightlessness was to fly up have all the cameras ready they're all in costume they've got all the the actual set is on board the plane and then boom, you free fall and you can't, you know, that only lasts for a few minutes here and there, you know, maybe five minutes of good free fall, fully floating footage. So imagine these guys, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Kevin Bacon, Bill Paxton going up and down to get these shots. Uh, you know, I'm sure there'd be a lot of, a lot of sick bags going on, a lot of vomiting, but look, the proof is in the pudding. Those shots of the movie, along with their great acting, the uh, amazing score by James Horner, the great story and directing, and these shots of them flipping uh, a little flashlight or a tape recording through the air, none of that is a, a special effect. That's all practical effects, all visual effects in camera effects. And, you know, it's worth it. If it costs a little more, not to say CGI these days doesn't cost a lot. You know, you got four whole stories of a building of, of, you know, guys on computers now, you know, rendering all this stuff that can be just as expensive, but, but yeah, so that practical, simple way of creating that effect to this day makes that movie. One of the things that's pivotal that makes that movie hold up, you know, and you know, the other part, classic miniatures, maybe again, some, some CGI sprinkled here and there, whatever they were capable of without going too far. That movie when I watch it, I'm 100% sold. I'm like, oh, yep, yeah, they're in space, 100%. No doubt about it. I'm looking at these guys. They are in space. They are in the LEM, tiny little capsule in space. So, yeah, Apollo 13, and, and great story, fantastic character development to show how close these guys were and that Gary Sinise had to stay behind, but he still helped out um, in the simulator because... You know, there are a lot of things that were unknown factors because they hadn't they hadn't run into this challenge before, you know. Uh, they have so many systems that they are ready for, but 
in this case, they weren't quite sure. For example, they had to switch um, all the systems off, all the power off to save batteries because if they had no way to save those batteries for the heater, for the warmth, for the computer, there was no way they were going to get home. So they had to switch it off. Well, they had no system of switching it back on without using too much power. They only had a finite amount of power to bring them back to Earth, which was sending them all the way to the moon and swinging them back around using the moon's gravity and then coming back to Earth. Basically, uh, you know, Isaac Newton was in the driving seat for a lot of that because they had to shut down everything. So yes, Apollo 13, fascinating story, great movie, and holds up quite well uh, to this day based on how they chose to do the effects. Um, also, <clears throat> Clint Howard. <laughs> Clint Howard's in all of Ron Howard's movie, and that's uh, Ron Howard's brother. He um, He's down on Mission Control. And, you know, he's he's hilarious, too. He's a good actor. He's funny. He's in everything. Um, so, yeah, give, uh, give Apollo 13 a rewatch. Absolutely holds up. Um, the other one from the 90s, you can give this one shit because it's directed by... Uh, uh, John DeBont, who uh, John DeBont, who directed Speed, obviously, but Speed, of course, Speed's good. God damn it! Are you kidding? Keanu Reeves, Sandra Bullock, come on, hundred percent. Speed is awesome, and you know this is not Speed just because it's something that's an action movie. Uh, I'm seriously telling you right now, and this is Twister, um, 1996. Seriously, give Twister a rewatch. I Seriously, again, I believe this movie holds up quite well. And if you release it at the theater, I think people would have a fantastic time. Um, yeah, it's a big blockbuster popcorn movie, but you know what? Um, Bill Paxton, he's awesome. Uh, he plays uh, Bill Harding. Helen Hunt, who doesn't like Helen Hunt? Uh, that uh, She plays Dr. Joe Harding. Um, they're getting a divorce, by the way, in the movie. And uh, uh, Jamie Gertz. Uh, plays Melissa, and that's the woman who Bill Paxton is currently with at the start of the movie. Um, Jamie Gertz. Now, come on. She's more than just Lost Boys. So I'm going to give you a gem here. One of my favorite movies that Jamie Gertz was in uh, uh, from 1986 is called Quicksilver. And this is about uh, a bike messenger in New York. This also stars Kevin Bacon. Hey, look at that connection for any of you at home, still playing Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Also stars Lawrence Fishburne. How random is that? But yeah, that's called Quicksilver. Give that one a watch. That's an 80s classic. It's just random and fun. Um, but yeah, so that's the cast. And now Twister has the backing of Spielberg as being one of the producers. So now you've got also the weight of ILM on this, all right, as far as the effects. Um, and written by Michael Crichton. Come on, you can't go wrong there. Jurassic Park. Uh, Michael Crichton is certainly uh, embedded deep into our pop culture minds. So again, I'm going to talk about, okay, Twister. All right. It's about uh, tornadoes, twisters. You know, obviously, this is a huge thing. And the cool thing is it is, it is lightly based on uh, a true story, which is cool. Um, so in the eighties and nineties, and look, this is a story about storm chasers. They still exist today. I think that's an awesome job. Essentially, these are, you know, cowboy research scientists who chase storms, 
um, to study them, to research, so we can better understand them, whether they're hurricanes or tornadoes, to get data from them, to essentially get systems in place for better early warnings. Uh, I th- I'm pretty sure they still do this to this, to this day, and that's fascinating. Um, that's important to get that data because storms, as much as we think we know so much about them, meteorologists and people studying this, they're still wildly unpredictable and, and crazy. So the fact that these people are out there is already um, a pretty cool thing. So yeah, so it's based on these storm chasers. Um, the thing is, the heart of the story is they want to get this device they have um, called uh, Dorothy, like uh, Wizard of Oz, Dorothy, tornadoes, you know, there's a tornado, there's a witch, yeah, all that. Uh, Kansas, oh, we're not in Kansas anymore. Um, and it's this machine that they put or want to put in the path of a tornado and inside uh, this big barrel with all this, you know, little um, satellite dish things and receivers and antennas on it and buttons. Uh, inside are these little round balls with, uh, I, I did just say little round balls, um, with uh, instruments in them to take readings from the tornado and transmit it back to um, uh, the van or the storm chasers, uh, a, a computer equipment. And the whole point is they want to send them up inside the funnel of the tornado, which nobody has ever been able to take a reading from and to try and get that vital information on how it forms, what's going on, what's the air pressure, what's it doing um, to get all that data back to better understand a tornado. And so that's cool because that is based on a real thing they did, except it was actually called TOTO, uh, not Dorothy, which stood for Totable Tornado Observatory. (laughs) Haha, very cool. Um... So yeah, the cool thing about this one also as far as the story development, um, so you've got Bill Paxton who comes on the scene with his current girlfriend, Jamie Gertz, and Helen Hunt is running the team of Wild Storm Chasers, which includes Philip Seymour Hoffman. Again, um, sadly we've lost him in 2014. He always brings it because he's insane. He was a great actor. Um, Carrie Elwes, come on, 1987 Princess Bride, and is also always good at playing the bad guy. Well, in this one, he plays the bad guy. Um, but yeah, we do love him as Wesley and the the Dread Pirate Roberts from Princess Bride. Um, and of course, hey, Alan Ruck, come on. Cameron from Ferris Bueller. And yes, that's right. He's the guy from Speed. Uh, Sandra Bullock. I got gum on my seat. Gum. Uh, so yeah, so that's the cast of Storm Chasers who we meet at the start and Bill actually, Bill Paxton's character comes in and he wants to give Helen Hunt uh, divorce papers. So they used to be in love and work together and something's happened along the way. Hey, that's a great start, you know? That's reality, that's interesting. And the cool thing, and this movie really does develop that, is all these storm chasers are like a real cool dysfunctional family who together are a great family and they're all passionate about what they do. You know, they're all scientists, but they're on the fringe a bit because, you know, well, they, they drive around literally chasing storms, trying to get in the path of a storm, which most people think is nuts. And I've always thought that was cool, that that would be one of those cool jobs that you always wanted. Uh, so he shows up and wants her to sign the divorce paper, but it happens to be during tornado season and she's there with all the equipment and she's there with the uh, the Dorothy devices, which she helped create and design. 
which is cool. But he obviously left for greener pastures to become a weatherman, which is also kind of a, a funny side joke as well. And they give him shit over that in the movie, which is funny. So, you know, obviously through the movie, whatever, sorry, these are spoilers, but I'm just telling you, regardless of spoilers, it's totally worth watching or rewatching. Uh, Bill Paxton gets mixed up with them again. Uh, the tornadoes are coming and he wants to see his device work as well because it's going to be the first time ever and they want to be the ones. So he goes, look, okay, I'll give you a day and we'll, we'll go chase these storms and we'll launch Dorothy. And, uh, Carrie Elwes has his own team, except he's, he's got money, a lot more money poured into it. So they have all the best and coolest equipment. And again, this is a spoiler, but Hey, it was 96. I can't help you. Um, he has copied the same device, which Look, another great plot, right? The guy who used to work with them on the same team team went off on his own and stole the design for the device and has his own version of it. So now we've got this team of bad guys and our cool, you know, um, storm chaser group uh, chasing tornadoes through the movie, uh, vying to be the first one to launch their uh, their device into the tornado. And you've got Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. Um, discovering their their love again. How can you go wrong with that? Okay, it's a good story. It's cheesy, but hey, I love it. So I'm going to talk about the effects. This is one of those movies where again they they knew what they could do and what they couldn't do, and they didn't go too far. And that's the best way to do it. All right, uh, God love uh, Tron uh, Legacy. Uh, you know, going too far with some of their effects. Some of it was awesome. Uh, and some of it just didn't work out. You know, sometimes movies, they're, they're, they're too far on the fringe and I feel like they need a room of guys. They need better test audiences to sit there and go, uh, that looks creepy, man. Or, you know, you're trying to de-age someone and, uh, and it looks creepy. Uh, Jeff Bridges, especially in that movie, I know that was one of the, on the forefront of doing like a digital de-aging, but then when they turn around and they look like a scary plastic monster man who's going to kill you and he's got dead eyes and the dead eyes are staring at you, you know that you're not quite ready for full human CGI. Um, anyway, that's another story. you got to know your limits. And I think Twister knows its limits. So what could they do in 96? They could easily create a tornado and debris because that's, I think, one of the simplest elements of of CGI, of digital. It's not trying to create the little idiosyncratic cracks in a face and all the curves of a face and the human human eyes and facial movements. It's just debris. It's just wind. It's just dirt and dust spinning around. And that can totally be done and could be, and it was. As far as that, I think they still, that they look fa- fantastic. The twisters, the tornadoes in the movie and all the debris flying around and and the, and the trees and the stuff and the cows looks 100% real to this day. Uh, some things they knew they couldn't do is when, when it gets into close-ups. You still need practical effects. You need things flying through the air, whether you're going to blue screen it, put them on strings, whatever you, you do. It still needs to be a physical object, uh, a knife flying through, flying through the air or a tire. Um, again, they knew their limits. When something is just a messy... Um, smeared dust of wind swirling around. That's, it's something moving so quick. It's already, if you look at a tornado, 
it's just dust swirling around. It's smoothed out. It's not specific. It's not something stopped in front of you that you're focused on. Debris flying around. That was something that you can easily render in a computer and it looks convincing to your eyes. So all that stuff still holds up to, to this day because it was, you know, it was a basic effect. I'm sure it was complex at the time, but still it's not, again, not like a human face uh, or a close-up. Uh, and then they would use practical effects where they knew they weren't quite there yet. And that's the smart part. Um, there is a scene where there's this massive tornado and it has become so strong and it is possible. I've heard it can pick up large objects, including cars. Well, this one happened to be a full, a full semi truck complete with the, the trailer and fuel intact. Um, so in the distance they were saying, what, what's that in the tornado? What the hell is that? Well, it turns out it's a huge semi truck that the tornado has picked it up. Now in the distance, you know, it's okay to CGI that because, again, your eyes are looking at a small thing. You're like, oh, yeah. Oh, I can, I can make out what that is. I get it. But when it gets closer and the semi-truck has to now fly down the road at the people in the truck, I think they stopped and said, we're not quite there yet. We're just not. So why do it? So then it's, it's more about, and this is probably more complicated, but then you have to build, you know, hopefully something out of whatever light balsa wood and aluminum all the things they use in the movie magic world to build this truck physically uh, and drag it along the road um, or pieces of it uh, and again just the shell of it it's obviously not a full truck with an engine so the close-ups were practical effects like that physical you know you had the carpenter crew working on that and that stuff that's why it works it's the balance between those effects and computer effects um, you want a, a big giant tree and, uh, you know, and it's going to ram into the truck. Uh, so they probably, maybe they did some tests and they thought, no, nah, that looks totally dodgy and fake. So that's when you get the prop tree because it's, it's about close-ups. And I'm sorry, the human eye knows to this day, you know when something's fake. You can feel it, you can sense it. Uh, and so that was it. That movie used a good balance of when it was a close-up, they would use actual objects and it was something more in the background uh, or just debris, something that's an easier sort of effect, they would use that. And I think, um, honestly, those scenes are still just fun and fantastic and realistic. Um, I will say there's another star to the movie that came out at this time, and that was the truck. That Dodge Ram uh, 2500, man, we used to talk about that truck. They put that truck through hell. And I bet Dodge truck um, sales went through the roof. Um, the other funny thing, it was apparently a deal between Warner Brothers and Chrysler to use the truck, but that was only because of deal with Ford fell, fell through. So see, it could have been a Ford, but, uh, that was only, I think the second year they sold the Dodge Ram and well now they're, they're everywhere. That's Dodge Rams are still going strong, but yeah, it was a V10 eight liter four by four. And that was the truck that, um, Bill Paxton's character was driving at the start. Um, Helen Hunt wrecks her truck and she goes, oh, do you have insurance on that truck? And he goes, don't even think about it. Yeah, well, the comedy ensues, but they end up using the truck through the whole movie. And yeah, it takes a beating and it, it became its own star. I tell you, uh, the Dodge Ram from Twister, definitely its own star. So again, an ILM did the effects. So, uh, and I'm not saying ILM always nail it 100%. I'm sorry. And they are, they are the masters. They are. But uh, they even, I think, again, knew not to go um, too far. Again, just like Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park's a classic example of 
knowing the limits even at that time. Um, the close-ups of the T-Rex, um, they're some of the best. Well, the close-ups are still animatronics and a huge T-Rex head on a forklift with all the, the little mechanisms and puppeteering. And, hey, I'm a huge fan of, of models and puppeteering, and I hope it never leaves movies because these guys are also the special effects geniuses, not just, you know, CGI. There has to be that mix. So, you know, Twister does that well. And that's why I think it uh, holds up to this day and definitely deserves a rewatch. Uh, I think they should I think they should release those back to back at the movies and I'll go see them right now. Apollo 13 and Twister. Tonight. One night only. Wouldn't that be awesome? Anyway, I hope um, you've enjoyed this little chat and you'll check those movies out. And be sure to look after yourself and each other. And you know what? Listen to my podcast 100%. Like it, share it, tell everyone. But when you're done with it, put it down. Put that phone down. Unplug for a bit. Relax. Go find a nice quiet place and uh, just chill. And uh, we'll all get through this thing, yeah? All right. Definitely like and share. And um, I'll join you next time. Talk to you later. Bye.